You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. If you guys could open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, it's page 811 in your pew Bible, if you don't have your own copy of Scripture with you. And as you're turning there, church, I want you to imagine for a moment a ladder. Picture a ladder being on stage today. And we'll just call it the ladder of life. And each step of this ladder represents all the years of your life, from your first breath to your final breath. And in between all of these years of your life are all the temporal things that you've toiled tirelessly for to make it a pleasurable life. Okay, So things like houses or cars, gadgets, gizmos, vacations, promotions, money, power, fame, you name it, all different steps. Now imagine spending your entire life climbing this ladder only to get to the end of your life and realize that you've been climbing the wrong ladder. In other words, you climbed what you believe to be the ladder to success only to learn that your definition of success is all wrong. Imagine getting to the end of your one and only life and realizing that you've wasted a good portion of your life chasing after things that have absolutely no value in light of eternity. What a tragedy that would be. But sadly, for many people, dare I even say most people, I can't help but wonder if this tragedy is their reality. You know, Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived, wrote about his experiences with chasing after life's temporal pleasures. Look at what he had to say in Ecclesiastes 2, 10 through 11. It should be on the screen. He said, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands have done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. You see, Solomon learned that spending your life chasing after temporal pleasures only brings temporary pleasure. In fact, look how he concluded the book of Ecclesiastes. After spending a book talking about vanity and how nothing is really gained in life, he says this. He says, that's the whole story. Now here's my final conclusion. This is what all boils down to. Fear God, obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. You see, church, temporal pleasures in and of themselves, they're not a bad thing. They're not a bad thing. In fact, God wants us to enjoy earthly blessings. However, when attaining them becomes the aim of our lives, we're always going to be left wanting. Why? Because earthly treasures don't last. You know, there's this old expression that says, he who dies with the most toys wins, right? Well, the reality is, he who dies with the most toys dies. And all of his toys are left behind, and he and he alone needs to stand before God and give an account of his life. As Solomon wisely stated here, the only investments that truly matter in this life are the ones that will carry into the next life. Earthly investments with eternal implications. You see, these are the investments that give our lives meaning 
and purpose. And so when we climb that ladder of life and we look back, we could say, okay, man, I wish I could have done more, but at least I could look back and, and have a shred of hope that I live with some sort of purpose that will carry into eternity. And so this morning... As we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to find Jesus expounding more on this vital reality. And it's through our study we're going to be reminded of this truth. Kingdom citizens invest their lives in things eternal. And so with that, let's just bow our heads and pray before we hop into God's word this morning. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the opportunity to open up your word yet again on a Sunday morning here at Grace. God, it is an honor. An honor that I don't take lightly, Lord. And I pray, God, that what comes out of my mouth is, is the truth of your word. And I pray, Father God, that your Holy Spirit would speak through the power of your word, speak through me this morning. And God, that we would all leave here with an eternal perspective on life. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So church, all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, here we are in chapter 6, verse 19, we're starting there, but all throughout the Sermon on the Mount in our study, Jesus has been revealing the nature of God's kingdom. He began with the Beatitudes, or the blessings that come through kingdom living. Then, after a generic call to be salt and light of the earth, Jesus gave his listeners very specific standards to follow in relation to anger, lust, marriage, divorce, making oaths, retaliation, persecution. And then he called them to seek God's approval over man's applause in the areas of giving and prayer and fasting. Well, in today's passage, Jesus is going to call his listeners to have a kingdom-minded attitude in relation to earthly possessions. And so let's begin by reading the whole passage, and then we'll, we'll break it down a bit. Verse 19, Matthew chapter 6. Follow along with me. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where must." Moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in, in you is darkness, how great is the darkness." No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Church, a story is told of a miser who worked all of his life, and he acquired great wealth. And so just before he died, he asked his wife to put all of his money in the casket with him before he was buried. Being the good wife that she was, she promised to do so. And so after his funeral was over, just before the casket was sealed, his wife put a white envelope into the casket and turned away. A close friend who was present when the husband made his selfish request asked the wife if she should reconsider her actions. And the wife responded, I cannot break my word. I wrote him a check for the full amount. <laughs> Church, those who live for their earthly treasures often have trouble dying without their earthly treasures. This is the epitome of living with an earthly perspective. But as kingdom citizens, we're called to live with an eternal perspective. Look at Colossians 6.2. It says, set your minds on things that are what? Above, not on things that are on the earth. And so in today's passage, Jesus is going to provide three principles for doing just that. Let's begin by looking at the first 
Store with an eternal perspective. That's our first point. Store with an eternal perspective. Look again at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. You know, church, we live in a country that builds storage facilities for the purpose of holding stuff that our houses cannot hold. You ever think about that? People literally pay to keep their stuff stored away that should probably be given away or thrown away. In fact, my in-laws, they run an auction service up in upstate New York, and at least once a year they have storage facility auctions. I actually worked a couple of, uh, of those when I was uh, dating Carrie. And similar to that show Storage Wars, these large garages are unlocked, and the contents are revealed, and they're sold as is to the highest bidder. However, unlike what we see in Storage Wars, most of what's sold in these storage facilities is like junk that has little to no value. And therein lies the point of Christ's initial or opening statement. You see, this, this expression, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, literally means don't store up treasures for, excuse me, don't treasure up treasures for yourself. It's a picture of stockpiling goods for the sake of stockpiling goods. Now, within this specific cultural context, the word treasures, which is kind of interesting, was a reference to one's clothing, food supply, and or gems or precious metals. See, all of which were forms of wealth for the Jewish people. And so when Jesus said where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, it was a reminder that, listen, no matter how many clothes you collect, eventually they're going to get eaten by the moths. Or no matter how much food or grain supplies they stored, eventually they would be eaten away, spoiled by the worms and the rats and the vermin. That's really what that word rust means. And because precious valuables were normally hidden or buried in one's house, no matter how well they hid their stones or precious metals, eventually someone's probably going to come in and steal them. So what exactly is Jesus getting at? Well, one author put it bluntly when he said, according to Jesus, storing up earthly treasures isn't just wrong, it's stupid. It's stupid. The parable of the rich fool in the Gospel of Luke helps us understand why. Look at verse 12, 19 through 21. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax and eat and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You know, as most of you guys know, J.D. Rockefeller was one of the uh, most wealthiest men to have ever lived. It's been said that after he died, someone asked his accountant how much money he had left behind. His accountant replied, he left all of it. Church, it's been said that you'll never see a hearse towing a U-Haul. Why? Because you can't take it with you when you go. The psalmist said it best, Psalm 49, 17 through 20, For when they die, they take nothing with them. Their wealth will not follow them into the grave. In this life, they consider themselves fortunate, and they're applauded for their success. But they're going to die just like everyone's died before them and never again see the light of day. People who boast of their wealth don't understand they will die just like the animals. Now, just to be crystal clear, 
just so we're clear, Jesus was not prohibiting the accumulation of all types of wealth. For example, he's not prohibiting savings accounts or owning private property or even storing things away to provide for your loved ones. Nor was he advocating living in poverty. See, both actually would go directly against other principles that we find in Scripture. The point of Christ's opening statement was a call for kingdom citizens to not be overly concerned with or controlled by earthly investments. Instead, they should invest their lives into things that will carry into eternity. Look at verse 20. He says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. A woman was quickly approaching retirement age, and unsure of what to do next, she asked to meet with a financial planner. Upon her arrival, the woman threw a large bag of money on top of the planner's desk and said, here's all my money, now you make sense of it. Church, that was a hilarious joke. (laughs) You'll get it later. But in all seriousness, the job of a financial planner is to make sense of your finances and give you a plan for the future. In fact, most financial planners will tell you that it's wise to invest your money thinking 10, 15, even 30 years down the road. Well, according to this verse, Jesus instructs us to make sensible investments that go well beyond our retirement years. In his book, The Treasure Principle, which, by the way, is a great book based upon these verses this morning by Randy Alcorn, he said this. He said, Christ, the ultimate investment counselor, takes it further. He says, don't ask how your investment will be paying off in just 30 years. Ask how it will be paying off in 30 million years. You see, according to Jesus, there are investments that we can make now. You and I. Isn't this crazy to think about? There are investments that we can make now that will reap eternal dividends. 1 Timothy Verse, or chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, illustrates a little bit of what this e- eternal investing looks like. It says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Why? Because by doing this, they're going to be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future. 30 million years into the future so that they may experience true life. You see, friends, this should be the attitude of every kingdom citizen to use what God has given us to advance his kingdom agenda and to store up eternal rewards that will never be soiled, spoiled, or taken away. You say, May we will, should, is that really that great of motivation to be serving God to receive eternal rewards? Yes, it is. Because God gave us that motivation. Right? You don't have to feel guilty about that. The Lord wants us to serve him. He's literally telling us to lay up our treasures in heaven. It's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. One commentator suggested this consideration. He said, the question we should ask ourselves about our present pursuits is, how important will they be 100 million trillion years from now? How important will our wallpaper be? 
How important will our promotion be? How important will our fame be? Are we making the right investments now in our lives? Church, those are really heart-penetrating questions to ask ourselves. And they're really great questions to ask because what they're going to do is they're going to reveal some of the true condition of our hearts and where our treasure is. Look at verse 21. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, whenever we see a reference to the heart in Scripture, it's almost always in reference to the total being or the whole inner man. In other words, our heart is what guides everything that we do. And so it's for this reason that we're warned in Proverbs 4.23, says, guard your, your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And so in essence, Jesus is saying that the heart is motivated and measured by what it treasures. And so therefore, as kingdom citizens, we need to guard our hearts against treasuring earthly possessions. In fact, it would be very wise to regularly ask the Lord to search our hearts and reveal where our true treasure lies. Because if it lies in anything else but the Lord and his ways, then we're not living with an eternal perspective. Our prayer should echo the prayer of David in Psalm 139, where he said, Search me, O God. Actually, let's read this one together. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. It's a powerful prayer that honestly we should probably pray on a regular basis. Especially in light of understanding where our treasure lies. This leads us to the second principle in today's passage. See with an eternal perspective. We want to share, or excuse me, store with an eternal perspective. We want to see with an eternal perspective. Look at verses 22 and 23. Jesus said, the, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body is going to be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? An old rich man who was miserable, had a cranky, miserable attitude, visited a minister who lived a simple life. And they weren't together very long before the minister got a wonderful idea on how to illustrate to the man that his cranky attitude was wrong. So he took him by the hand and he led him over to his window and said, now you look out that window and you tell me what you see. And the old man replied, well, I see some men and I see some women and I see a few children. Then the minister took him by the hand and led him across the room to a mirror and said, now look and tell me what you see. And the old man frowned and said, well, I obviously see myself. To which the minister replied, interesting. You know, in the window there is glass, and in the mirror there is glass. But the glass of the mirror is covered with a little bit of silver. And no sooner was the silver added than you cease to see others, only yourself. You see, church, when Jesus said the eye is the lamp of the body, he's implying that the body sees its way through life through the aid of the eye. And a good eye, an eye that is centered on eternal treasures, has this unclouded vision and can see things for how they really are. It takes the focus off yourself. You see things for how they are. 
On the other hand, a bad eye, one that's centered on earthly treasures, has clouded vision. Cannot see past yourself. And so here Jesus is calling us to see things the way he sees things. Namely with this unclouded, uncorrupted, 2020 spiritual vision. However, the only way to attain a clear eternal perspective is we've got to maintain a loose grip on earthly possessions. And a good way to maintain a loose grip on earthly possessions is to remember that money is tainted. It taint yours and taint mine. It all belongs to the Lord. Look at Psalm 24, verse 1. It says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Church, when we remember that God owns everything, it should impact how we view everything or how we see everything. In fact, the way that we see and use our resources is a sure indicator of our spiritual condition. Therefore, as far as it depends on us, we need to see our resources through a heavenly lens. I think Job serves as a great example of what this looks like when he said in Job 121, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And this leads us to the third principle. Serve with an eternal perspective. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for he either will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You see, the imagery that Christ's listeners would have envisioned in this closing statement was that of a master and his slaves. You see, in ancient times, slavery was viewed very differently than it is today. In fact, it was common practice among the Jewish people. And it's by its very definition, a slave owner had total control over the slave. In other words, you wouldn't find a slave working several part-time jobs as a slave to different masters. A servant worked full-time for one master, and his master owned him. Well, in the same way, the Bible teaches that we as kingdom citizens are servants to one king. One king. And just like any loyal servant, our allegiance must be to him and him alone. Look at Romans 6, 22. It says, but now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. You see, church, the implication of Christ's final points in Matthew 6, 24 is fairly straightforward. The question is not necessarily, it's not even about what do you own. It's what owns you or who owns you. That's what it's really coming down to. Jesus is not concerned about the possessions as much as he's concerned about who's possessing you. In other words, what or whom do you take your orders from? God or money? Resources, even the intangible things, promotions, career, job, relationship, whatever it is. Anything that's not God is an earthly treasure. One commentator noted the orders 
of these two masters are diametrically opposed and cannot coexist. Cannot even coexist. The one commands us to walk by faith and the other demands that we walk by sight. The one calls us to be humble and the other calls us to be proud. One calls us to set our mind on things above and the other to set them on things below. One calls us to love light, the other love darkness. The one tells us to look toward things unseen and eternal and the other to look at things seen and temporal. In the Old Testament book of Joshua, you might remember we find God's people, the Israelites, at a crossroads. See, they needed to make a definitive choice on whom they were going to serve. You see, they got wrapped up in the the worship of earthly idols. And simply put, an idol is any unauthorized person, place, or thing that that a person looks to as a source of purpose, promise, or provision. Let me read that again. An idol is any unauthorized person, place, or thing that a person looks to as a source of purpose, promise, or provision. And so in his farewell address, Joshua was calling them to a decision point. In Joshua 24, 15, he said, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Well, church, in the same way Jesus is calling you and me to a decision point, we need to make a definitive choice on whom we're going to serve in this life. One master inevitably leads to a life of regret, and the other leads to a life of reward. The choice is ours, but we would be wise to choose the latter. Colossians 3.23 says it best. Whatever you do, work heartedly as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Amen? And so this leads us back to today's truth to remember. Kingdom citizens invest their lives in things eternal. Now as I try to do in every sermon, I want to close by reminding you of an important reality. You cannot live for things eternal, church, unless you're sure of your eternity. Really, that's what it comes down to. If you're here this morning unsure as to whether or not you're going to go to heaven when you die, this tells me, If you're unsure, this tells me you never placed your faith in Jesus. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, then you won't have the power to live for Jesus. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. There's no argument there. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Friend, you can leave here today with the assurance of eternal life simply by believing in the person and work of Jesus. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross to save you from the penalty of your sin and give you the free gift of eternal life. That's the only way in, by the way. It's through Jesus. And what you need to do to receive this free gift of eternal life is not work harder, not do more good, not try to make the cut when you die. No, it's to throw all that aside and just admit that you are a sinner. 
and repent of your sin and, and ask God to forgive you or say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I recognize that. And I recognize there's nothing I could do to earn eternal life. I believe that what the payment that needed to be paid was paid 2,000 years ago by your son, Jesus. And I believe your word where it says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Lord, I place my faith in you today. I trust in you and you alone for, for my salvation. I believe. Believe that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was enough to save you. And the moment when you do that, and you just literally place all of your faith, it's Halloween, so all your candy in one basket, right? You place it all right there. Scripture says that you're saved. That you could be sure of your eternal life. Like the song we just sang, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck you from his hand. Once you become a child of God, you're stuck being a child of God. And that's a good place to be stuck, by the way. So I want to invite you right now as we close to believe in the Lord Jesus securing your salvation, and then to begin living your life with a renewed, eternal perspective. Invest your lives in things eternal. You don't have to feel guilty about owning stuff, but I'm telling you, at the end of the day, Christ is calling kingdom citizens to live for things that are going to carry on for millions and millions and billions and trillions of years, not just living for the last 10 to 15 years of our lives. Because that's where we spend most of our time investing, don't we? It's all about the retirement years. Church, think farther ahead than that. I want to invite the praise team to come forward. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for this morning, for the reminder that we all need to live with an eternal perspective, God. And, and, and no matter how many investments we make this side, earthly investments we make this side of heaven, Lord, um, Help us to remember that they will all fade away. God, as your people, help us to, to do much with what you've given to us for the kingdom. Lord, we admit this is not easy. We admit that this is a text that we need to be reminded of on a regular basis. And God, I just pray that you might have used your text today in some way to inspire someone here, Lord, to live in light of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.